Well, I trust that you have been blessed already as you are here this morning, and now I would invite you to take your Bibles and open them to Romans chapter 8. Your Bibles, or I might once again uh, remind you of the Scripture journals on the back table. I think it's a great way uh, to be scribbling down whatever you might want to scribble down, whatever uh, God may bring to you this morning. So Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 4 this morning, and then uh, we'll finish it up next week. Uh, the rest of these eight verses. It's a brand new chapter, and God inspired in an errant and sufficient word reads, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. And what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Father, we would ask a blessing now upon the reading of Your Word. And Lord, as we meditate upon them, Lord, as our minds may drift in and out, as we may be lost within the Scriptures, I do pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would illuminate this text for us, not only so that we can understand it, but also so that we can apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. The Giver of Life. Simply titled this, The Giver of Life. And we come now to the 8th chapter of the letter to the Romans. And many see chapter 8 as the greatest chapter in all of Romans, and some may even say in all of the Bible. Romans 7 was all about what the law could not do. Romans 6 was about all that Christ can do. And now in Romans 8 is all about the life in Christ as children of God who live in the Spirit. Romans 8 is all about life in the Spirit, and yet it is clear from beginning to the end that salvation is the work of a triune God. Many are Martin Lloyd-Jones who preached 372 consecutive Friday night sermons from Romans, says that the theme of Romans 8 is the security of the Christian, the absolute certainty of the final perseverance of the saints and of the ultimate, complete, entire salvation of the one of everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, end quote. How is this security possible for the believer? Only by the Spirit, the giver of life. In verses 1 through 16 of Romans 8, Spirit is referenced, Spirit is mentioned 21 times, 21 times. 19 of those 21 times, it is specifically speaking about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 is all about pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. We see it in our creeds. The Nicene Creed has this to say about the Spirit. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. 
the Westminster Catechism, question nine. How many persons are there in the Godhead? The answer, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. And the body of divinity, which is, all, which is, a, is an exposition of the, the Westminster Catechism, Thomas Watson, as he was taking a group of people, a group of believers uh, through the catechism for baptism and church membership, had this to say, the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, whose work is to illuminate the mind. The essence of the Spirit is in heaven and everywhere, but the influence of it is in the hearts of the believers. Though Christ merits grace for us, it is the Holy Spirit that works in us. Though Christ makes the purchase, it is the Holy Spirit that makes the assurance and seals us to the day of redemption, end quote. One of my favorite of many chapters throughout the biblical text is Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, says this, After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him, sealed in God with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is, the, who is giver as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Joel prophesied about the coming of the Holy Spirit in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. It will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, even, even it says, even on male and female servants. I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Isaiah, in 44, verse 3, said, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land, on the thirsty land in streams on the dry ground, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Isaiah describing a land or a people without the Holy Spirit as thirsty and dry. And when the Holy Spirit was given, was poured out, for at the coming of Jesus and Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, as Jesus came up, out of the waters, out of the baptismal waters, John recorded, or Matthew recorded this, these words here for us. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him, Jesus. And behold, a voice out of the heavens, out of the sky, said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased when Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure from the earth, for his ascension in the, into heaven as he was leaving, he told them, I will not leave you alone. In John 14, 6, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate that he may be with you forever. Interesting thing about the word uh, another can also be other. In the Greek, there are two words that describe this. 
uh, and not to get confusing with that, uh, but it's simply that this another that Jesus is speaking of here is other or same kind. And I was thinking through of, of, of a comparison with this, and I thought, you know, if I went to a dealership or a rental car place or a car rental place, and I rented a truck because I needed the bed of the truck, I needed a truck, and something happened with the truck, and I needed another or a other truck, and I went back and said, I need another truck, I need another vehicle to get the job done, and they gave me a motorcycle. Well, that is another vehicle. That's going to get me from point A to point B, but it is certainly not another kind, is it? It is certainly not going to get the job done. And Jesus says, there will be another that I will send. Not somebody else, not somebody new, but somebody like me. Another of me. And then in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In Acts chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit was poured out and people spoke all kinds of different languages as as a sign to to the, the pouring out of the Spirit, there Peter prophesied and he spoke to the people and he cited Joel chapter 2, fulfilling the prophecy of Joel there. Romans chapter 8, our new chapter that we're starting here has something to say. Of course, it's going to have a lot to say, but I want to point out verse 11. In verse 11, I have a nice little triangle drawn here, which for me signifies in my Bible that this is a reference to the Trinity, and you'll soon see why. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. One verse, twice, a reference to the Trinity. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I could go on all morning with a reference to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit. I could start at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, which tells us right from the beginning of our Bibles that the Spirit of God was over the waters of the deep. And then I could go to the 22nd chapter of Revelation, the last book in our Bible, where it says that the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit is all through our text, of course, because we don't serve three gods. We serve one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the three cannot be separated. In these first four verses of Romans chapter 8, we will see the Trinity again at play or involved or drawn out by Paul. And so I've just broken this passage down quite simply with four headings. You'll have them there in your bulletin. But the first is a justification in the Son in verse 1. Justification in the Son. It begins with therefore, of course. Paul is summing up. He's drawing a conclusion to something, and it is therefore. It's a conclusion to all the seven chapters up to this point in time of Romans. But maybe specifically as we try to, where do we chat, especially students of the Bible, where does the therefore, does it point to 7, verse 25? Maybe, but it doesn't fit there all that well. And so we could go back to 
uh, chapter 7 and go at verse 6 that it says this, that it says, but now we have been released. We've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. We can go all the way back to the sixth chapter, verse 22. And we can see there and attach the therefore uh, to verse 22. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. And therefore, there is now no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I believe and... Uh, that it really is attached to, as we were kind of alluding to for the past few months maybe, but it attaches to the end of verse five, or chapter 5. Verse 6 and, and, and 7 uh, is really a digression, if you will, or a parenthesis where, where Paul was teaching all about justification by faith alone. And because he was teaching all about justification by faith alone, he knew he was going to have some explanation that he was going to have to make. And as we've seen it, especially through these two chapters, 6 and 7, there was the, what shall we say then? May it never be. Remember that dialogue, that conversation. Well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning since grace abound? May it never be. Well, what shall we say then? Is the law actually said? May it never be. And there was this argument that was just, this, that, that's a parenthesis, that's some clarification that Paul needed to make. And so really, chapter 8 picks up now for us at the end of chapter 5. In the end of chapter 5, where it says, in verse 24, sorry, wrong chapter, verse 21, verse 20, the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now here's where chapter 8 picks up. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to also notice at the beginning of this chapter that therefore there is now no condemnation. The now signifies that there was a time where we were under condemnation. In John chapter 3, 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in Jesus has been judged already. Why? Because he does not believe in the only Son of God, right? No one starts out life innocent. Society tells us that we are innocent until proven guilty. Not so in the Scriptures. We start out guilty, and we are guilty until proven innocent. Romans 5.18, all for as, just as one sin entered into the world, one transgression entered through the one, Adam, so two sins spread everywhere. Everyone starts out under this condemnation. But Paul is saying now, there is now no condemnation. Condemnation is a legal decision of guilty. It is a criminal case expecting a punishment to be handed down. It is a forensic word. It is, it is indeed that, that, that we are proven. It is a legal decision that we are proven to be made or to be found guilty. 
the love of Jesus is not all that important until we understand that we stand condemned, until we recognize we stand condemned. We want to talk about the love of Jesus, and that we do. But until we understand the importance of the love of Jesus, we will not understand completely the significance for the believer. Second, I want to go to verse 2. It's justification in the Son. Verse 2, we'll see liberation by the Spirit. Liberation by the Spirit, it starts out with four, of course, carrying forward what just came before. It's the because. There is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus because it introduces the reason why there is no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? Well, first, we look at John 6, 30, or John 6 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The life or the flesh profits nothing. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And it boils down to these two governing laws. It's either liberation in the Spirit or bondage under the law. Those are the two that are being contrasted here. And the reason that Paul can say there is not no condemnation is because they have experienced, these folks here have experienced liberation uh, in uh, the Spirit. Justification in the Son, verse 1. Liberation by the Spirit, verse 2. Verse 3, liberation or reconciliation by the Father. Reconciliation by the Father. It's a Trinitarian work, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And again, it starts out with the for, with the gar, with the because of what he said in verse 2. He can now say what he's going to say in verse 3. It introduces the second reason why there is no condemnation. First, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because there's been a liberation by the Spirit. Here in verse 3 is the second reason there is no condemnation for the believer, and that is because of the reconciliation by the Father. What the law could not do, it tells us in verse 3, God did. God did. Weak as it was through the flesh. And if you recall the past two Sundays that we, we talked about the honesty of Paul, and Paul just laid it out and said, the very things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And we've seen the honesty, the authenticity of, of Paul. And here he carries it forward with, with the weak as it was through the flesh. Now think about this for a moment when you think about our relationship as Christians to the law. We can look at our relationship to the laws of the land. And I guess I pick on speed limit signs all the time because that is my thorn in the flesh. That is my weakness. I don't see the practicality of them, but whatever. They're there. Um, just everybody get out of my way and it's all good. So the speed limit sign can certainly inform us of the law, but it cannot help us obey the law, can it? It can't. And that's the law. That's what Paul is saying. The law. The, the law from Moses, the Ten Commandments, informs us, and yet we have this problem of finding obedience in them. That's the significance of verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the... Because of the weakness of my flesh, God did. The original Greek wouldn't have the did there. That's in italics if you have the NESB signifying it's an added word. 
And it would simply say, weak as it was through the flesh, God. Not in sinful flesh, though. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Likeness of sinful flesh. Not in sinful flesh. There's significance there to understand that though Jesus came as we ourselves are, the text would tell us that it was in the likeness of sinful flesh. Galatians 4, 5. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those who are under the law. God sent his son just as we ourselves are, born out of human nature, born under the same laws that we are, so that he could fulfill them on our behalf because we could not do it. And verse 3 also tells us that he condemned sin in the flesh. We are no longer condemned as Christians, as followers of Jesus. There's no longer no condemnation. The word condemned here is the word that is actually handing down the punishment of the guilty that is found for those who are not in Christ Jesus. It's a pronouncement. It's a sentence after determination of, of guilt. Look at the sentence. He condemned sin, verse 3, end of it. He condemned sin in the flesh. Who's the he? It's God. Whose sin is it? It's ours. Whose flesh was it condemned in? Jesus. It is penal substitution. It is how we are made right with God. God condemned sin, our sin, in the flesh of Jesus because we could not do it on our behalf. God is right and just in all that he does. In Galatians chapter 18, 25, I love this exchange. Remember when there was this deal of Sodom and Gomorrah and they were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Adam or Abraham starts bargaining with God and he says, far be it from you, God, to do such a thing as destroy the city, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are all treated alike. Far be it from you, God. Shall not the judge, listen, shall not the judge of all the earth judge or deal justly. Hmm. Romans 2, 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation, the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God. Paul told Timothy in his last chapter of, of Timothy <clears throat> where he said that he is going to be leaving where he says, and there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But he says that, that the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. Not only me, but also all who loved his appearing. See these biblical laws, these greats of our biblical text. They depended and they relied and they t always proclaimed the rightness and the justice of God, even in the midst when things don't necessarily always make sense. In Revelation 19, and John writes there of the, what he was given to record for us today. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. 
And he who sat on it called faithful and true, and in righteousness he justice or he judges. Over and over and over, the biblical authors record, they stress the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. It's the justi- justification in the Son, the liberation by the Spirit, reconciliation by the Father, and now verse 4, confirmation in the believer. And this is really setting up for where we're going next week, confirmation in the believer. And now we come to the so what. Okay, that was a lot of introduction. That was a lot to start with. So what, right? Verse 4, we have it. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The so that is telling us why Paul just got done telling us everything that he has told us. So I want to ask you the question, who is the us, right? I mean, it says, so that the requirement of the law might be filled in us. The in us is those who walk. And I would hope and trust that every single one of us this morning says that we're included in the us. Every single one of us is included, that every single person, I believe, they would find themselves, and if you ask them, are you included in the us? We say, yes. We say, yes, we are. We all walk, but we do not all walk the same walk. Walking is a slow and steady process. Do you understand? Walking is a slow and steady process. And what Paul is going to tell us now, and what we're going to see through verse 8 next week, and that is that the confirmation in the believer is how the believer walks, how the believer lives his or her life. That's where we're going to pick it up next Sunday. But in preparation for that, I want to leave you with two examples of those who walked well, and then I want to leave you with one question. Two examples of those who walked well. And both of them are in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, Enoch walked with God. And he was not. Why was he not? For God took him. God took him. A couple chapters, actually one chapter later in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9, tells us that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. I think those are two people that we'd want to model our life after as we look at greats of the biblical text. They walked with God. The believer's life, the confirmation in the believer, or I should say the confirmation of the believer, is how the believer walks, lives their life. So I'll leave you, I guess, with a heavy question. And the heavy question is this, given by what I just said about the believer in walking. Why do you Why do I think that I am included in the us? It's a sober question, and it's an honest question, and it's a question that we must deal with, and we will deal with it next Sunday. Think about those two verses of 
Enoch, from Noah. They walked with God. Look at their life. We are included in the us. I would hope we would all say that. And yet why? Why do we find ourselves included in the us? We'll answer that question next week as we look at verses 4 through, through 8 of Romans. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, as we just really look at an introduction of this great chapter of Romans. And Father, as we turn the corner from justification, from condemnation to justification, and to now life in the Spirit, and how that works out and lives out and is evident within our life. Lord, I know that each and every person here this morning's desire is to walk faithfully with you. I know that's mine and that's all of us. And yet, Lord, we know that there is a way that a believer walks. And I pray, Lord, that if we take time this week to ask ourselves, why are we included in the us? Oh, Lord, that it would be a time of reflection, a time of um, discernment, a time that would ultimately lead to exaltation in what you have done for us. I pray, Lord, that the assurance would come forth this week in each and every person here who wrestles with the question that they are indeed sealed by your Spirit and included in the us. Father, I do pray that for the things that you have pressed upon our heart or those things that don't sit well, whatever, Lord, I just pray that your Spirit would discern those things this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.